The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran i never thought this would happen but i made a friend from a hashtag i've been talking about my adventurous ayurvedic vegan life on instagram if you want to follow there it's at victoria moran author and i've been hashtagging vegan ayurveda because that just feels like what i do but some people seem to be following vegan ayurveda and one of them is a beautiful young woman named gayatri we connected first on instagram and then we met at a wonderful ayurvedic restaurant in the lower east side of new york city called divya's kitchen we had wonderful food wonderful conversation it all ended with cardamom date shakes and photographs to post online for other people who are following hashtags. All this is to say, vegan Ayurveda is a beautiful way to live, and that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Hi everybody, I'm Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan Program. Always a pleasure to be with you and be with our wonderful friends at Unity Online Radio, who have made all this happen from uh, June of 2012 until this very day. So my guest today is someone who's a repeat performance, and that's kind of like a command performance, I guess, because people really love what she has to say. She's been coming on kind of um, not exactly quarterly, but three times in the past year, this will be the third time, to talk about how we can take care of ourselves for every season. This is for every season of the year, but also for every season of life. And she is Dr. Sarah Kuchera, an Ayurvedic practitioner, chiropractic physician, yoga teacher, writer, and entrepreneur. She's the founder of Sage Center for Yoga and Healing Art in Kansas City, Missouri, and she's the author of the Ayurvedic Self-Care Handbook, one of my favorite books in all the world, and if you're looking for a gift, 
give that. It's one of these beautiful little books that actually comes with a lovely little ribbon attached as a bookmark. You got to love a book like that. And guess what? She has a new one coming next spring, The Seven Ways of Ayurveda. Welcome, Dr. Sarah. Hi, thank you. It's wonderful to have you, and it's great to see you. I see you all over the internet writing articles, hither, thither, and yon, and just sharing lots of wonderful, really practical, useful information. So for people who didn't hear your previous, um, the previous interviews with you on this program and who are very new to all things Ayurveda, what's that? Can you just tell us a little bit about Sarah Kuchera, who's that? And Ayurveda, what's that? I sure can. So I am Sarah Kuchera. I have been um, very invested in learning about all different types of health practices for a very long time. Even since I was a kid, I loved learning about movement and health. And that led me down a path to becoming a chiropractor and um, actually first and foremost, a yoga teacher. And then also learning Ayurveda and getting my master's degree in Ayurveda. And Ayurveda, most of us in the West know as yoga's sister science and something that couples closely with yoga, yet the two can be practiced independently. And then, of course, also the marriage of the two is very beautiful when put together. And Ayurveda is a full medical system that focuses on each person as an individual and how they relate to nature and how nature can help us have better harmony with ourselves and our environment. And really just the ways that we can tune in and develop our awareness and be really intentional with all of the choices that we make, whether that's the things that we eat, the different types of exercise that we do, our interactions with people, the relationships that we get into. And I would say that Ayurveda has its strongest suit in preventive um, healthcare and also, of course, maintaining wellness and health, but also is very good and very proficient at working with health imbalances. That's it in a nutshell. So, uh, so here we are, uh, midsummer, really hot where I am and probably where you are. And yet we spend most of our time indoors in air conditioning. So when Ayurveda started to develop thousands of years ago in India, when it was hot, it was just hot. So how do we take these wonderful suggestions for summer and make them work for us now when we have this summer-winter hybrid going on? Yes, yeah, so I love that you brought this up because one of the things that Ayurveda strongly focuses on is our connection to nature, of course, and how we adapt to it. And so when we talk about different seasonal practices and we talk about changing our diet, um, the different spices that we incorporate, our culinary herbs, maybe the different supplements that we might take. Um, it really is in part about adaptability. So for people that maybe don't like hot weather or in the winter don't like cold weather, um, I always question like, is it is it that you don't like it or is it that you haven't immersed yourself in it? 
And so we um, do have our ability to cool, um, which of course is taken to the extreme when you go through like retail stores, you notice how cold they are just passing by a store and the door is open. You can feel all of the cold air come out. So we want this for our comfort. And in many cases, when it does get extremely hot, we do need this for our health as to not overheat. But the best way that we can work with air conditioning is to not look at it as extremes. So for example, um, not overusing it in terms of like turning it up or down. Um, we want to maybe keep a consistent temperature, but we also want to think about how do we tolerate the heat um, in other ways, first and foremost, before we work with something artificial. So the best way that I can explain this in short, and I'm sure you'll have some ways of prompting me <laughs> to get, get me headed in the right direction, is that we will want to change the food that we eat. Um, so I would prioritize that over using an air conditioner. So for example, instead of cooking like some hot um, roasted vegetables, maybe we would saute something, or this is also a season where we might eat something that is raw, where that's not something that we do so much in the fall or in the winter. Um, another thing that we might do is work in um, a more seasonal way in terms of looking at what produce is available. So things like cucumbers and um, cilantro and our sweet berries that are available this time of year versus some of the things that are available in the latter time of year. So really when we think about air conditioning, it's not that we shouldn't be using it. it we should be looking at all of the different ways that we can work to cool our system without only relying on that one thing. So we're going to be having our cucumbers and <laughs> cooling, <laughs> cooling foods. And that's a little bit tricky when people start looking into Ayurveda because Ayurveda generally likes cooked foods and says that that's how we get more digestibility. And yet those of us who are also in yoga have been taught that we're supposed to be looking for prana and life force energy and beautiful colors and untouched produce um, as would come with, with raw foods and juices and that kind of thing. How do we get a balance there? Mm -hmm. So one thing to remember is that it's not an, a practice of only um, or like absolutes that we, we can have raw food um, and you're right that we're taught um, that raw food does contain more prana, that there's more energy that comes from it. So the closer something is to the earth, the more vitality it has and the more vitality it can give us. But we also have to consider how well we can process it. So we know that energy is probably a little less tangible um, and measurable than something like a um, a vitamin or a mineral. So if we think about how we might measure vitamins or minerals and our ability to digest a food, we can't get those nutrients if we can't process it very well. And the same thing is actually true then of prana, that if our body doesn't digest um, raw food very well, even though it contains all of this wonderful energy, it's much harder for that energy to get to us and for us to access it if we're not able to process it, take the good from it and eliminate what we don't need. So it isn't so much that 
we should never have raw food. It's that there's a time and a place for it. And there are also some other thoughts around um, ways that we might consume it. So for example, since raw food is does require a different type uh, or different um, ability for us to process, it's harder for most of us to process something that is raw and hasn't gone through some of the cooking, which does create um, kind of a, um, a pre-digested nature of the food, um, that we have that food, the raw food alone, or that we have it in smaller contents, um, a quantity if we are consuming it with something that is cooked. So it's sort of like we don't want to confuse our digestive system, that we either want to have primarily cooked or primarily raw, but we don't want to have the two in equal amounts. And that's also a way that we can consume those things and, and just really ensure that we're um, getting everything that we need from it. And how about the tastes? I know Ayurveda talks about six tastes and that we should have all of them at every meal, but I think some of them, some are likes better and some not so much. That's true too. So we have six tastes, which are sweet, sour, salty, bitter, pungent, which is also like spicy and astringent. And our cuisine here in the West tends to have more of some of those tastes than it does others. So for example, it's a little harder to find uh, the astringent taste or the bitter taste just naturally occurring in our diet here, but um, but it is possible. So we we kind of gravitate to these other tastes, but they're all very important because they all do different things for us. And they also all have a different effect on our body um, in different ways, but because we're talking about um, like heating and cooling and, and temperature, um, they have different post-digestive effects where they can either create heat in our body or they can allow us to cool. And those that we should favor in the summer are sweet, bitter, and astringent. And it's because in part, those are things that help to cool us or they help to reduce the element of fire within us. And that means that that leaves those remaining three that we should also think about decreasing to some degree, which are sour, salty, and pungent or spicy because those actually bring up the heat. And that it's, I think it's also to point out that that's also independent of the temperature of the food. So for example, you could have um, something that is sour, which is a heating taste, and that could be cold, prepared cold, or it could be prepared hot, but that will still create heat in our body. And then the same would be true that if we have something sweet, I should also mention that sweet doesn't necessarily mean only sugar sweet, but grains are also sweet. So if we had something that is cold versus warm, that sweet taste also creates cool in the body, regardless of the temperature which we're consuming it. Sounds good to me. And I think we all have this idea of summer food and winter food, even if we've never heard of Ayurveda. And if it all seems a little bit confusing, I think to just think, you know, if it feels like a summer food, it's probably good for summer. So summer, like all the seasons, has qualities that we need to understand. Can you help us out with that? Mm -hmm. There are qualities to nature that 
we could just say that they occur in uh, pairs of opposites. So you have things like cold versus hot. You have dry versus oily or um, static versus mobile. So you have these 10 different pairs of opposite qualities. And thus it brings us, that leads us to saying like there are 20 different qualities that uh, we might use to describe the different things that exist in nature or the elements that exist in nature. So when we're talking about summer and we talk about elements, we're talking primarily about the fire element, although we might still have some water, water element. I almost said watermelon, which is also <laughs> something that we That's have. That's good in the too. Summer. Yeah. Um, so the water element also exists, and it's a part of what we call the pitta dosha. And that's um, made of both fire and water. And one way to think about those two elements together, um, because they seem contrasting, right? That you have fire, which it seems like if you have fire and water, wouldn't the water just sort of put out the fire? And of course, that actually is true if you have big quantities of water. But if you have a small quantity, it actually causes a little bit of a flare. And I always like to think of if I have eaten something spicy and my instinct is to grab my glass of water and drink right away, that the first thing I notice is that was a mistake because the water actually causes that fire and that heat to increase. So those two things actually do act um, synergistically to produce heat. Now I keep saying heat, but there are also other qualities that are present within these different elements of fire and water. And the main ones that we associate with the Pitta Dosha or the summer season, aside from hot, are sharp, um, light. We also have um, a little bit of oily, but we could also see dryness as a result of heat. And that's also kind of in the same context I was talking about with um, water, where water could be something that either increases or decreases fire, we could see how oil can create um, greater fire. We have um, like oil lamps, for example, which fuel fire. But if we were running artificial heat, that heat would very quickly dry us out. So the same thing is true of us internally, that fire could cause um, or bring a quality that seems kind of oily or could seem kind of dry. Um, so we can we kind of have to tune in a little closer in that regard. So we have hot, we have sharp, we have sometimes dry, sometimes oily. There's also a very light quality when we think of fire. Um, and fiery foods also have sort of a, um, a lightness and a sharpness that go along with it too. So those are kind of the bigger ones. There's not so much mobility um, that we see, um, and additionally, even though we have the water element, there's not there's a little bit of liquid involved, but we don't focus on that as one of the primary qualities. So I really think the most important ones would be sharp and hot, and then looking at how in the how the dry and the oily might come into play. So basically, in Ayurveda, when we see something in nature that's in excess we kind of want to downplay it in our own lives to bring balance into the body. Am I kind of on track there? You're 100% on track. 
Oh, goody. I love being 100%. That reminds me of fourth grade and getting a smiley face. So we've got all this this wonderful background about what's going on. So now what do we do in real life? I know you're such an expert with uh, the Ayurveda self-care handbook on just telling us wonderful, uplifting things to do at different times of day and little things that take five minutes or 10 minutes. So what are some of those those routine changes and some of those practices we can be engaging in right now? The first thing that we want to do is we want to look at this from two perspectives. We want to look at it in our general way, and that's things that we, most of us should be incorporating during the summer months, assuming that we're in a place where it is hot and it is um, maybe even a little bit humid. Um, But we also want to look at maybe the different things that we might be experiencing from a perspective of an imbalance or things that are causing us to not feel well. So what we want to do, just like you said, is that we look at when these qualities could be in excess or abundance, but in a sense, we want to try to get ahead of it. So that's what I mean is that we have these general things that we're sort of like, I'm on top of this. I'm not going to let it build or accumulate to a point where it might cause me to not feel well. But then we also have to be really tuned into the different ways that we might feel unwell, specifically in this case in the summer. So some of these general things, um, we already mentioned that we can bring down some of these um, fiery qualities by decreasing um, things in our life that also possess those same fiery qualities. Um, That might come to us via food, like increasing the sweet taste, the bitter taste, the astringent taste, um, or bringing in food that is seasonal because our earth does provide the things that are most balancing to us in the season for that time of year. And the other thing is how we carry out our day, such as our exercise, um, the different things that we're participating in, um, just maybe even our work or the things that we might choose to engage in in like an extracurricular sort of way. So if we think about exercise, most exercise does produce a lot of heat. And so one thing that we might do to change uh, our physical activity in the summer is we would choose to not do things that are as high intensity. Um, We might go for a, a, a leisurely walk or high intensity might also mean something that's competitive. So maybe instead of choosing to spend our summer months really training or um, being in a lot of competitions or tournaments, we might choose to be more leisurely about it because a leisurely activity is naturally more cooling to us than something that is competitive. That's why we have our heated competitions and things like heated debates that that also brings heat to us. So physical activity, um, of course, if we were to exercise in the middle of the day, that's the hottest time of day. So it makes more sense for us to choose times of day that are cooler, but we can also choose different activities that are cooling in nature. Uh, And one of those is actually swimming. Um, Swimming is one of the best activities for the pitta dosha. And it's also something that I think most of us could gravitate to in the summer months because it feels really refreshing. Um, With regards to maybe the way that we approach things, 
Um, we have different emotions that are also, they share these fiery qualities and they're things like anger, frustration, um, being critical or judgmental, being irritable. And that's, those are things that um, we might notice if we are exposed to too much heat. But there's also things that are that require heat or require this fire element for us to be um, proficient with. So for example, detailed work or planning or organizing, um, being a leader, uh, having the ability to delegate. Those are also things that both require the fire element and they also increase the fire element. So when we look at our daily activities and if we have the ability to choose, um, especially if we're feeling like we're already in one of those states, we may want to uh, find a different way around it or at least just draw our awareness to it. So the summer is not the best time, let's say, to um, tackle a project that you know is going to create some conflict or if it's unavoidable, then you go into that situation knowing that the heat could rise and you really want to make sure all of your other practices are in place at the same time. So there are different ways that we can work with our interactions with, with people that can also bring down heat. And then some of our other more practical ways are things that we might already do in our, in our Ayurvedic routine, um, which we call our Dinacharya. And there's also our evening routine, um, our Ratracharya, the things that we do at night as we prepare for bed. Some of those are just very um, general, but also could take on a different type of quality or different type of flair. So if we use the example of oiling your body like abhyanga, which is a practice of massaging oil into your body and leaving it on um, for up to 20 minutes before you shower, it might be that in the summer you either choose to use an oil that is cooling in nature, such as a coconut oil um, or a sunflower oil, something that's a little bit um, cooler than let's say what's traditionally recommended for other months, which is sesame oil, which is heating. Another thing to consider is that we may not need as much oil um, in the summer because our air might feel much more humid than it does in other, other times of the year. And if the air is humid and we are oily and we go outside, our body can't cool as much because it's as if the, uh, the air can't um, absorb and, and take on extra moisture. So even if we are sweating, we tend to not cool as well. Um, so there are many ways aside from just our diet um, in just the ways that we look at and approach life that could really help to balance us in the summer. This is fascinating. And I want to find out when we come back from the break, what happens if we don't do this? Is this just a little something that makes you not as comfortable going through the summer or is, is this really important for our health that we pay attention to a season like the one that we're in right now? So we're going to find that out and lots of other fascinating things with Sarah Kuchera when we return. Stay with us.
Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us today. And if you are new, a special welcome to the Main Street Vegan program. We like to think of ourselves as the spiritual and spirited vegan podcast here on Unity Online Radio. I also invite you to check out my website, MainStreetVegan.net. And if you are a committed vegan who might be thinking about taking your vegan outreach, your vegan life to the next level, Level, please do read about Main Street Vegan Academy, which has been training and certifying vegan lifestyle coaches and educators for just about 10 years now. And we'd love to have you as part of that. And check out our blog while you're there. The one uh, this week is written by Chris Comer, a vegan lifestyle coach and educator. And it is about intersectionality and veganism and sometimes that idea of intersectionality where various injustices that we see in the world have a a place of connection and maybe animal issues and veganism have a connection there as well very hard to understand and we just got a comment on that post where somebody said thank you i never understood this before and now i do so It's good to understand, isn't it? So do take a look. I would be personally grateful. Thank you so very much. And I also want to let you know that in the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net, we'll just tell you all kinds of ways that you can find and follow Sarah Kuchera. So she's got a website, and her last name is K-U-C-E-R-A, and her Sarah has an H, SarahKuchera.com. And she is Sarah underscore Kuchera on Instagram. So we'll put all that stuff as well as links for getting uh, her wonderful, charming, with a bookmark book, the Ayurvedic Self-Care Handbook. So, Dr. Sarah, I was going to ask you, what if we say, eh, it's okay, it's summer, but I'm going to eat chili and uh, (laughs) do whatever I feel like doing. Is there really any problem to that? There, yes and no. So the answer in Ayurveda that we always hear is it depends. When we do something one time, there is much less offense to what it might do to our body. So if you want to have chili tonight for dinner, have your chili, maybe even make it extra spicy. But you might also want to observe how you feel going into it and how you feel after it. That one time won't make too much of a difference. 
maybe it'll throw you off kilter or maybe it will provoke something that's already brewing. So that one time may be more or less um, detrimental for the person that's consuming the hot, spicy food in the summer. But it's actually the accumulation that we have to worry about. So this is why we look at all of these different components, because if we were only zeroing in on one thing like diet, we might forget about these other things that are producing heat in our lives, like um, productivity and searching for goals and, um, and so forth. So what happens when we reach this level of accumulation and we are eating the things that make us warm on the inside, we're doing the things that make our mind overheat, we start to not feel well in both a mental, emotional, and a physical way. Physical things that can happen as a result of too much heat, first and foremost, can be inflammation. Uh, we might see this in any system of the body, but those that are particularly vulnerable for you. So if you've had joint pain in the past or you've had an injury in the past, those areas might um, become inflamed first versus nece not necessarily like a systemic form of inflammation, but more focal areas. We might see it in our skin. It could be something like becoming more sensitive. Maybe it's acne. Maybe it's if you have psoriasis, you get a psoriasis flare-up or eczema. Um, these different skin conditions that are especially red in nature, hives, rash, anything like that. We might have irritation in other organs that are governed by pitta, such as our eyes, our blood, uh, our hormones, our reproductive system. Um, and that could be uh, in present in a very variable sort of way. So it could be dry eyes, red eyes. Maybe um, we notice our menstrual cycle changing in some way. Um, where especially like the phase before your period that you become especially irritable. Um, so all of these different systems can be affected. Um, one that's especially particular um, to note is our digestive fire. Um, our digestion is very important and is something that um, must be very healthy when we look at um, what health is like for all of us. We want to have a digestive system that allows us to properly break down food and that we also have proper elimination. So we want to look out for different digestive conditions that range from ulcers to hyperacidity to diarrhea or loose stool. Um, and then also I mentioned in the mind. So earlier I said anger, feeling resentful, feeling judgmental, critical, irritable. So if you're noticing any of those things, it's especially helpful if you just kind of pan out, look at what's happening in your life, look at those things that might be contributing to that, and then either reduce those things, or if they can't be reduced, then bring in things that will help to bring a better balance. Nice. I like that idea of balance. I think that's really one of the great uh, calling cards of, of Ayurveda. Now, you talked about when you do something once, it's not such a big deal. But what if you do something once that is just so wonderful, you want to keep doing it over and over and over again? And I'm talking about a an old friend of mine, uh, <laughs> Caffeine. <laughs> you wrote this terrific post for Banyan Botanicals about coffee. And you said, people don't just drink coffee. They have relationships with it. And... 
I mean, that is just so true. You you know, people that you go to a restaurant and the server will often not say hello. They'll say coffee or how do you take your coffee? Like not just this random kind of beverage, but it's yours. And yet it's a drug. What What does Ayurveda have to say? Yes. So I do personally have relationships with coffee. I say relationships because it can be very complicated and is very personal, like you say. Ayurveda really believes that nothing is good and nothing is bad and everything is good and everything is bad. And what that means is that everything could have a medicinal um, component to it, but then everything could have, in essence, a poisonous component to it. So when it comes to coffee, coffee has, like other foods, seasons that are better to be consumed. So for example, coffee is a little bit more balancing to us because of its bitter, astringent qualities. It's better for us in the spring. So if we're someone that has that um, relationship with coffee, it should be more of a spring fling than in the summer, which coffee also, whether you drink your coffee, um, your coffee, cold (laughs) or hot or cold or hot, coffee is heating in nature. And that's in part because of its acidic qualities. So it will produce heat even if you choose to have an iced coffee of some kind. So summer is not the best time if you're going to be consuming coffee. Um, It also is drying, so it's not great for us to have in the wintertime. So Ayurveda, as it looks at other foods by qualities, also looks at coffee by the same thing and says, you know, it there is caffeine in it, which we don't necessarily want um, to be artificially boosting our energy every single day. But perhaps is there a time of day or a time of year or a time of life where a little bit of that boost might be helpful? Maybe it will create a little bit of motivation so that we can then on our own be motivated or, or energized. So never should we rely on something um, to do something for our body. We're look at, looking at things that can help us get to a place where um, we're not dependent on something else. So we don't want to depend on coffee for energy, but it's not to say that we can't take advantage of some of those qualities, but we really have to know when, like when is the right time. And, and, you know, we also want coffee on with food. We don't want to have it on an empty stomach because that's like putting acid on acid, or it's like, I say it's like anxiety on anxiety um, because if you have that light also quality of coffee and caffeine that do make you feel uplifted, there's also a degree which feeling uplifted is not good. It could make someone feel jittery or it could make them feel lightheaded. So the main thing with coffee is really knowing when is the best time and also thinking about it as like your favorite sweater that you're not going to wear your favorite sweater in the summer, but you'll wear your favorite sweater in the fall or in the winter. And so if by chance coffee could, could take on that kind of relationship with you, then that would be the best way to look mm-hmm. at it. Mm-hmm. Well, spring is a long time from now. <laughs> so how about tea? How about black tea and green tea for the tea drinkers? Same rules or different? There's, they're not the same rules because they're not the same thing, right? They have some similar qualities, but 
Something that's a little different is uh, tea, black tea, green tea, those do not have the same type of acidity that coffee does. So it doesn't come with the same heating qualities. It is, they both of those are also dry, however. So black tea, especially when we drink black tea, I think most of us, in fact, I use the idea of black tea, that taste to explain the astringent taste to people that Black tea creates kind of a dry feeling in our mouths, like we can taste it. So they are also reserved for specific times. And we also don't want to rely on those things for, um, you know, being what gets us going. Like if the only thing that can get you going in the morning is coffee or tea, then I would ask, what's making you feel tired or what's making you feel unmotivated? And we need to look at the source of that instead of just relying on something like coffee or tea. Always back to the source. <laughs> Good advice. So while we're talking about liquids or semi-liquids, um, the smoothie has an interesting reputation in Ayurveda. I think generally speaking, people have just kind of snooped into Ayurveda a little bit would say, oh, no smoothies. And yet again, you have written, no, not necessarily no smoothies. So how do we do a, a balancing smoothie? Mm -hmm. One of the hallmark things about smoothies is that they are cold. Or if you look at a smoothie recipe, it often includes something like a frozen fruit or ice. And so Ayurveda does not, Ayurveda frowns upon ice because what it does to our system, our whole system is it causes a contraction and it causes things to want to slow or to shut down. Now, specifically uh, our digestive system, and it would not make sense for us to, to cool something down when we need that fire to burn the food, to process the food and give us access to the things that are good from the food, like the energy, like the prana or the other nutrients that we might get from the food. So the biggest reason why you see the no-nos around smoothies have to do with smoothies that are, are ice or that they're um, very cold. So one way of getting around this is to um, consume a smoothie at room temperature. And I know for those of you who who drink things that are cold um, might think, oh, like that doesn't sound good at all. In the summertime, a cool smoothie, like if you touch the glass and it feels a little cool but not cold, that would be okay. That's something that we can consume cooler liquids. We don't have to have only room temp or warm. We can, again, kind of know when that might be okay. Maybe you don't have it right before you eat a meal or with a meal or after when you really want your digestive fire to be strong but the timing around it might be different where you could consume it at a time that's not going to take such a negative effect on your digestive system. And then the other thing to think about is just how well you might do, like what are the things that you're putting in to the smoothie? Do they combine well? Do you um, have primarily fruit? Do you have primarily vegetables? And how well do you process those things raw? Because again, most of the things that we're putting into that are going to be raw. Now, granted, the process of making a smoothie does give it, again, kind of that pre-digested quality because it's starting the process of breaking it down, but it's also still um, being consumed in a raw way. So 
those are the things to look at. And maybe just before, instead of just habitually having a smoothie every day, it would be, you know, if you have a smoothie for breakfast, like getting up and thinking, how do I feel today? Is today the day that a smoothie would be good for me? Or is a smoothie going to make me feel um, worse? Or is it going to contribute to something that I, I, a way that I don't want to be feeling? Oh, that takes a lot of insight into oneself, but I guess that's why there is the sister science of yoga uh, to tell us to go within and have some quiet every day and get to know ourselves. So I wanted to ask you a little bit while you're here about this thing I talked about at the very beginning, that vegan Ayurveda hashtag, but vegan Ayurveda without the hashtag. And that is, I know that in Ayurveda, uh, dairy is allowed and in some cases cherished. Uh, those of us who are vegans just say, okay, there are thousands of recommendations here. We're going to take all of them except those. <laughs> so it seems to work fine. But for example, when I read in an Ayurvedic book about, say, yogurt, and they would be talking about cow's milk yogurt, they'd say it's very hard to digest. And so you don't want to have it at the end of the day. You don't want to put fruit in it. But if I'm eating almond milk yogurt yogurt or cashew milk yogurt, do those same rules apply? Some of those rules still apply. So if you look at the qualities of yogurt, um, one, one thing is that it's fermented. So no matter what the yogurt is made from, that is something that has gone through a fermentation process. Now that fermentation process means that that food is actually heating. And I, some people are often surprised to learn that about yogurt because we might think of like it being something even applied externally to create like a soothing, cooling effect, but that's also externally. Internally, once we have digested it, it causes us to increase heat in our body. So that across the board, whether it's almond milk, coconut, no matter what it is, there is going to be a heating quality because it is fermented. Now that's a little less true if what has been fermented is cool in the first place. So for example, coconut is cooling, whereas almonds are heating. So if you look at the two different um, yogurts, almond milk yogurt, or if it was a cashew, like anything that's made from a, that type of nut, is going to be heating more so than a coconut yogurt would because the coconut itself has a cooling effect. So it's almost like you have one point in the heating department and one point in the cooling department. And so it's a little less heating when it comes to um, coconut yogurt. Another quality aside from heating that you also want to look at is sort of like the texture. Like if you tried to pour yogurt out, it's very sludgy. And again, that does not depend that like any type of yogurt has that sludgy type of quality. Now in Ayurveda, there's something else that has a sludgy quality that's called ama. And ama is essentially an accumulation of anything that is undigested, whether that's an undigested emotion that could create, um, let's say like a brain fog, um, an undigested experience or a food that hasn't been digested properly. It's said that that will show up in our body in what's called ama. 
A-M-A. And we might see AMA on our tongue. AMA might show up as diabetes or high cholesterol. There are other ways that we might see AMA in a tangible way. But AMA has that same sludgy quality that yogurt does. So no matter what is made from, there's still some sludge to it. Now, the only exception um, here when we talk about, maybe not the only exception, but one that really comes to mind when we talk about, you said not to have fruit and yogurt. And um, that's true with milk um, or dairy yogurt because dairy really shouldn't be combined with anything (laughs) or really much. Whereas we can combine things like coconut or we can combine almond with a much broader spectrum of food than we can dairy. So that might be one thing where if you are having yogurt in the morning, you might add uh, fruit to a vegan yogurt where you definitely would not want to add that to a dairy type of yogurt. Well, that is really good to know because I I don't really want to always have oatmeal in the summertime. So uh, thanks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Speaking of of milk, I know that what you're probably going to tell me is that the best thing to use for dairy, if one is trying to be vegan and Ayurvedic, is that you make milk yourself out of nuts. But if you're going to buy some in the store... (laughs) Is there one that's better as a general rule for, for two Ayurvedic eyes? Yeah, so you're right. Every Isn't everything better when we make it ourselves or if we have someone else make it for us, <laughs> um, but made from scratch. So it is better, especially almond milk, which is said to carry some strong qualities um, for our immunity and for our vitality. Um, but if you are looking at buying milk from, you know, that, that's in a package, it's in a store, the best thing to look at is the ingredients and to really go with all of the things that are familiar to you in terms of ingredients and to get something that has fewer fillers, fewer things that are sort of like doctoring it up, especially for it to be mimicking milk. So I think for all vegans, I would assume for me, it's this case that I know. So back to coffee, I know that I might like soy milk in coffee better because it's thicker or oat milk because it's thicker, whereas almond milk is not as creamy. And I just inherently know this because I've tried all of the milks, right? all of the plant milks. So you have to look at some of those things that might be, um, be added to plant milks and that you may not want to consume. Um, or at least not consume as much of, not just the milk itself. And if we are going to make our own, do you have a really simple off the top of your head recipe? Yeah. Well, actually, my favorite recipe um, is actually for cashew milk or cashew cream because you don't really have to strain it. So if you soaked, and really all nut milks, if you soak nuts overnight and then um, rinse or drain that water and then add it to a blender or Vitamix and add fresh water to that, preferably filtered if you can, and just enough to cover the nuts or go a little bit higher than the nuts and just blend. Um, 
cashew is really simple. You you could strain it, but it actually the thickness of that is really wonderful. And if you wanted to add like some vanilla or some sea salt, some cinnamon, that also is really really delicious. Almond milk is not so challenging to make and can be just as delicious too. Um, it's just that you might want to strain that and to like squeeze it through some cheesecloth, or of course there are little bags like nut milk bags that you can strain. So it doesn't have to be complicated at all. In fact, I think it's really just the cleanup that is complicated when it comes to um, to making milk at home. That's one of the things that Ayurveda is teaching me that I never thought I lived a fast food lifestyle. I mean, I certainly wasn't going through fast food restaurants, but I think I kind of had a fast food at home mentality. Like, oh, it's 12.30, I'd better go to the kitchen and make something in the next five minutes. It doesn't work that way with Ayurveda. So I've learned to befriend my little uh, crock pot, my crock pot for two, and and get lunch kind of going at breakfast time and soak some dates and some almonds the night before. It kind of slows me down a little. So now that we're in our, I can't believe this, last two minutes, can you just give a suggestion from the inner side of Ayurveda for slowing down if we need that, being calm, and just being our very best self? Yes. I think the easiest way to slow ourselves down is to recognize transitions. So recognizing the transition from your bed to waking up, like just sort of, even if it's saying to yourself, it's morning and I'm ready for the day. Um, But really the times of day that we need this most are when we're going from activity to activity or between work and home or from, um, doing a task and then sitting down to eat our dinner, we can just really plug these really intentional transitions in and cause a really inherent slowness or slowing downness um, without having to think too much beyond it. If we just stop between activities and take a deep breath, um, that will automatically cause you to slow down and to also just be more aware of how you feel. Well, I always feel really good after talking to you, so I am aware of that, and I'm sure the listeners are feeling that kind of awareness, too. Thank you so much, Dr. Sarah Kuchera. The Ayurvedic Self-Care Handbook is available now, and next spring, we can get the seven ways of Ayurveda, so we'll be on the lookout for that. Thanks, everybody, for listening today and for taking really good care of yourself. It's very important. I was just told by a wise person that the body responds to our own love. So give yourself some. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. 
Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.